God has called us to complete the mission of Jesus. He began for a reason, to tell others about him, to let them know who he is. Not just to give them the words and the story, but to live it out, to make a difference. We're not delivery people, we're demonstrators. And God wants us to demonstrate what Jesus can do in our lives. And we must actively reach them, not passively, not accidentally, but intentionally go after them. If you're struggling in life with finding a purpose and a reason, if you're tired of just simply doing the same thing you've always done, try to find the purpose that Jesus has for your life to fulfill that. Peter's message on the day of Pentecost was so powerful. It was a special occasion anyway. People gathered from all around the world at that time. It was an important time for them. But the turning of the message in this direction, the new covenant, is amazing. It's a transition that changed everything about God and His people. It's one that changed all of us. On that day, that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to live within the believer. Joel's prophecy from ages before came true. God poured His Spirit upon all flesh. We're given an understanding of God's wisdom in His work in this world. Not a new religion, but a new direction for His covenant people. The church is, is just the next part of God's ancient plan. It's a restoring of what was fallen in the Garden of Eden. Bringing us back to God. Having that closeness that, that was experienced there in the Garden. Abraham didn't fully understand it. Neither did Moses. The prophets didn't fully grasp all of that. Yet you have the opportunity to move beyond what they accomplished. I've always been impressed that Jesus told those round about him that, that we would do greater works than he had done. I remind you that, that the people that he healed eventually did get sick again. Those he raised from the dead eventually would die. Yet those you give a faith in Christ to as you share your life and begin to disciple them once they make that choice, you change and you change them. And yet so often... We lose touch of that. We forget about it. We want to relegate that to someone else. But no, dear friend, it's our responsibility. And we have missed the greatest opportunity of eternity for the individual in connecting with our God when we share with others. Those of you that are soul winners, and, and one of my favorite soul winners at First Baptist Church is in heaven right now. Ralph Derryberry understood the power of that. He understood that literally as you go making disciples, God enriches your life. He gives you a new purpose. He gives you a new meaning, a new depth in your walk with Him. And oh, how we need that today. In a world that is so dark and dismal, so far away from God, the cause of Christ and His words to us have become ancient and meaningless to many in this world. Yet we are called to assimilate the gospel to them. And yet we sit back and ignore that. We do everything but that. I want to think for a few minutes about the principles that are given here. that come out of, of, of the writer Joel's own words. 
And I want to think about how they can change our life while we're changing the lives of those round about us. The first thing it indicates to us is we need to claim the power of the Holy Spirit. doesn't mean we need to find it. It's there. If you're a Christian, you have the indwelling Holy Spirit, but you allow as much of the Holy Spirit to get out of your life as you're willing to. Sometimes we suppress the Holy Spirit because we're more in cons- concerned about impressing others about who we are. Many years ago, I listened to, in a conference to a number of great speakers talking about being filled with the Spirit. And I'll never forget, one of the speakers got up. He was certainly not the most eloquent and, and absolutely was not the handsomest. He was one of the ugliest men I've ever looked at. But as I listened, he became more handsome and more powerful. His name was Vance Havner. And he said, it all gets down to one simple thing if we will admit it. More of Jesus and less of me. That's the secret. More of Jesus and less of me. Letting go of my personality. Letting go of who I want to be. Letting go of my dreams and aspirations and allowing Christ to indwell me through His Holy Spirit. Let Him guide me to the ones that I'm to speak with. To give me the words. And that's where many people stop. Because they're fearful that the words won't be there. One of the most powerful things to have in your attache of abilities is the ability to let go and allow the Holy Spirit of God to work. Sometimes people are too busy trying to create an image or an aura around who they are. Don't don't ever do that. Let God build that within you. These people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Simon Peter begins his conversation in such a wonderful way because he's, he's literally saying to the people there, Don't get upset with what you've heard. Because people were actually thinking, these people speaking in other languages sound like they're drunk. Simon Peter said, it's 9 a.m. in the morning, they're not drunk. I thought about this passage yesterday morning. I had the the opportunity of of driving a, a pastor's widow. This pastor, wonderful friend, died some months ago. His wife is, is, is a concert pianist, and, and she judges a piano contest. And she had to go to New Orleans, and, and I had the privilege with a friend to drive her there for that. And what a great time to spend with somebody that had walked with God for 70-plus years. But in going there, I had the opportunity to walk around the French Quarter at 9 o'clock in the morning. You ever been there? 9 a.m., there's just the residual of the night before laying around there, and you step over them. And I thought about that as I considered this passage. You know, Simon Peter stood up and said, these people weren't drunk, it's 9 a.m. Well, if Simon Peter had been in New Orleans, he had had to have said something differently. They were everywhere there. But he, he was acknowledging, these people are speaking for God. They're speaking truth in the language of those who are here. God's Spirit is speaking through them. They didn't have this talent. They didn't have this ability. That shows the love of Christ. Now, let me ask you something. If God is able to give a foreign language perfectly to a person that did not understand that language, and they not only spoke the language, but they spoke with accuracy the truth of the gospel of of Jesus Christ, if God is able to do that in their life, what can he do in your life? 
when he calls you to speak truth in your own language. He absolutely can do that. They were filled with the Spirit of God and with His power and His boldness. They had appropriated the Spirit's power. These people had first yielded to Him. And when they yielded to Him in everything in their being, He began to purposefully use them. In Acts 1.8 it says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses. Sometimes people witness about everything but Christ. I've listened to churchgoers. I won't use the term Christian, but I've listened to churchgoers convince someone not to go to their church. Not by the words they say, but by their behavior. People silently look at someone and they say, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want no part of that. You're witnessing for somebody in your life. You're speaking boldly by your behavior. What does your behavior tell those around about you? Does it show the love of Christ? Does it make a difference? Or is the motivating factor in your life something you watch on a big screen or a small screen? Is that what you become passionate about? Some people love to argue sports. Others love to argue politics. Others love to argue business. None of those three really matter in eternity. It is so true and so important that we speak for Him and Him alone. If you don't have the courage to speak boldly, He will give that to you. If you don't have the opportunity, ask for the opportunity. It will be there. Success in witnessing is sharing the good news in a realistic way by showing people how it's changed you. And many times we haven't changed, and what you need to do is say, God, change me and make me into that person. Now, I want you to notice also it says that when we share, we're to be kind and respectful. Now, I've, I've had people before witnessing, and, and I've seen them not plant a seed, but, but put it in the ground and hammer it in with a jackhammer. That's not how you plant a seed. I noticed that Simon Peter, the same man that, that was cursing Jesus' name and said, I never knew him when the Roman soldiers approached him there around the fire as they were crucifying our Lord. The same man that, that cursed him and became angry suddenly here is very calm in the 14th verse in the second chapter of Acts. Listen to what he says. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. <clears throat> suddenly he had changed drastically. Fellow Jews, he uses that phrase. How wonderful that is. He's appealing to them in a mighty way. Who do you appeal to with what you say? What do you talk about? Are you an expert on your past and do you love to share that with people? Make sure that you're not the center of all that you say. Give credit to Christ for what he's done in your life. Let others know that he's made all the difference. That it's not about you, but it's about Him. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have within you. How important is that today? You woke up this morning. You could see beautifully. You could smell the freshness in the air. Everything is wonderful. God has given you a day to worship and to communicate His truth. What are you letting other people know? 
Learn to show real, true compassion. Back during the Spanish-American War, there's a special lady on the battlefield named Clara Barton. Any of you that have ever studied history of America, uh, American history in the early days know who Clara Barton is. Any of you that's a nurse, you understand the importance of, of that name. Clara Barton was a nurse there on the field. She was working with the Red Cross in Cuba. And a colonel comes up to her, a very brash and a very bold colonel comes up to her by the name of Theodore Roosevelt. And he says, my soldiers are dying. We don't have any food. Everything we had in the way of provisions is gone. And, and will you sell us some food? He said, I have the money here. I will pay for it myself. And Claire Barton, the amazing, angelic, godly woman that she was, smiled and she said, no, I won't sell it to you. I can't do that. Off stomped this angry officer frustrated at what had happened. He had been refused, and this didn't happen. He was winning. The Rough Riders were doing what they were supposed to do there. And all they needed was a little help, and this woman had said no. A very kind woman that worked with her walked over and said, Colonel, Colonel. He turned and looked at her and said, What? He said, You don't understand. She will not sell you anything but if you'll ask for it, she'll give it to you. And he stood there for a while, and thank goodness, in, in, in his anger and frustration, he was smart enough to pause and to be still and understand the need. And he turned and he went back and he said, Forgive me, Miss Barton. Will you give us the provision? She said, Everything we have is yours. Everything. It is said that Teddy Roosevelt learned a great lesson that day. And it's a lesson we have to learn as Christians. Sometimes what we need is there. We just need to appropriate it. We don't have to serve for it. We don't have to work for it. It's already provided. The Holy Spirit of God is within you. He's provided everything you need. All you need to do is access it by asking for it. Sometimes we forget that. You know, we also need to begin where a person is. Some people are, are so set in the way they, they share what they do in Christ and share their story, they forget that not everybody begins in the same place. Not everybody has a sad story of being turned away from sin and turned to Christ. I've often said it's hard for a seven-year-old to have a story that is traumatic and dramatic and, and moving. My story was not. It was very simple. I listened. In Sunday school and in church, I paid attention. And I, I began to ask God, do you really love me? Am I to trust you? I knew that my mom and dad did, but, but you know, what could God possibly want with a little kid? The Spirit of God spoke. And He's still speaking. When I'm willing to listen. And to call out to Him. Many times people say, I, I pray and I pray and I pray and, and I never hear from God. Well, remember this, sometimes we have to be quiet to hear. That's in human relationships as well as in our relationship with God. Prayer is, is our communicating with God. His communicating with us, we, we call it guidance. 
He guides us along in a mighty way. He speaks through His Word and He speaks through others. He speaks sometimes supernaturally. Not always. Sometimes the most supernatural thing can be that we get quiet and listen. But He wants us to listen. But you begin with where the person is. And Simon Peter let them know of what the situation was there. Several years ago, not far from Buffalo, New York, there was a a very horrible, sudden, it, it came out of nowhere, ice storm. It was not just snow, but it was ice. And it was horrible. It seemed to just belt everything and cover it over. Frank, you know from being in Detroit what it was like there. A storm could come out of nowhere. The nor'easters, which are still very common there, will happen. And this blizzard hit so suddenly after a rain that a car that was holding a man and a woman was literally encased in ice. And they were terrified to move and didn't know what to do. And as the gas in the engine ran out, and the car sputtered, and they turned it off, and suddenly the descending cold and the darkness crept around them. The husband became fearful, and the wife grabbed a piece of paper, and she wrote on a note very simply this, I don't want to die this way. They were found 16 hours later, frozen to death in their vehicle. The sad part of the story is, eight feet behind their bumper, after they had been iced in, along came a trailways bus that came to a halt in the depths of the snow. And all during the time that they were freezing to death, just behind them was a bus full of people with a tank full of diesel. Warm, illuminated, and alive. Not knowing just in front of them was a tomb that two people died in. Now I want to say this to you. You need to come to where people are. Look around you. See what's happening to those who are there. I many times talk to people who are going through struggles in life and they tell me about the sadnesses that they've experienced. And I've learned something in life and it goes something like this. The more you dwell on your circumstance and situation, the sadder it will become. As you dissect it and pick it apart, it will not get better, it will get worse because in the midst of doing that, there is the evil one, Satan, who is there whispering to you, in reminding you of things that are not true, that he's making true in your mind. He'll say things like, of course, of course things are bad. God really doesn't love you. That's why bad things happen to you. If God, and he'll say things like this, if God loved you, he would have answered your prayer and taken away this problem. But he didn't. God has abandoned you. And oh, how Satan loves to tell people that. You know what's amazing? The hardest situations I've experienced in life have been the situations that taught me the greatest lessons of life. Because sometimes we're not focused on Him until we're in a struggle that's almost a life or death situation. And then in that struggle, we will intently focus on Him and His Word. And we'll grow. And we'll move beyond our weaknesses and our frailties. When we learn not to listen to the evil one speak, 
but only listen to our Heavenly Father. It's very easy to tell the difference in those voices. Now, it's not like the, the old cartoons and movies used to say. It's not like you have an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. No, it's not that at all. You have within you the Holy Spirit of God guiding you. As you pray to Him, as you read His Word, and as you listen to Him, He will guide you with all truth. He will not lead you into negativity and sadness. He will not discourage you or attack you. He will love you and embrace you and guide you. And We must listen to that voice. God does not abandon us. No, He loves us. But lastly, realize this. You must go to Scripture always for those answers and nowhere else. It says in the last days... And what does that term mean? We're in the last days. We're living that. We're very close. You do know that, don't you? We used to think that America was the hope of, a, of the world and that somehow out of America would come the bl blossoming of faith and hope and, and somehow spiritually the world would change. But no, alas, we are not the bright hope that we once were. The heart and the core of Christianity has moved closer to the Middle East where it began. And we have grown dark in the world that we live in. There was a wise old evangelist many years ago under his tent praying with a group of people. And as they prayed, the question was asked, why don't we see revival happening again in America? Why don't we see it like we did 30, 40, 50 years ago. Why is it so dark in America and we're getting so far from that? And back and forth they discuss the front page of the paper and the words with the news commentators and the darkness coming out of Washington. But in the midst of that, the old preacher spoke up and he said this. Listen, he spoke as if Joel was speaking from the latter days. He said, the reason why we are not living in revival today is because we, Christians, are content to live without it. You hear that? The fault is not in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles. The fault is, fault is not with Montgomery or Birmingham. The fault is in the life of the Christian that's willing to live without it. We must grow a level of discontent about our lives. We must confess our sins and forsake our sins and begin to talk honestly with God about what we're to be. And then God will pour out His Spirit on flesh. And life will change. Your life will change forever. Are you willing to do that? Or are you going to walk out of here and do what you've done every Sunday? Go home, have lunch, sit back, and get back in your routine. And allow the world to move forward as it goes backward. You decide. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that you guide us with your Holy Spirit not with the feeble words of preachers, certainly not with the writings that you hear about Christianity, no, not at all, never through denominationalism, for we see the sadness of that in the world that we live in. 
No, you speak through your people. Honestly, sincerely, and attentively. Father, I pray right now that you'd speak to someone this morning who's listening as your Holy Spirit speaks and they get it. They realize how personal this is. Not about the church. Not about the family. It's about them. And I pray that they would hear the guidance of your Holy Spirit and they'd respond. Even now, as the first notes of the instruments play, that as we prepare to sing the invitation hymn, may we understand that the invitation is not to come down front. The invitation is to confront what's in your heart before God and allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And I pray that we'll be willing to do that even now. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.